0: The weighing machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed.
1: The weighing machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, Emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time.
0: Welcome to The Weighing Machine.
1: Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think.
0: On the podcast today, two possible storm clouds on an otherwise sunny market outlook.
1: We will also discuss the future of ETFs and cryptocurrencies. And what is the CAIA? That's with our guest, Grant Engelbart, Senior Portfolio Manager at Brinker Capital. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman.
0: And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. I know we keep saying this, but they are still looking positive. What's our market takeaway at the moment?
1: Well, as of this recording, which is towards the beginning of the third quarter, it's again, it's been a great year. One of the notable things about this year, of course, as I say this, and by the time this is published, this will probably change, but we have not had a 5% correction in the market as of yet. And that's pretty remarkable. I think in the last 25 years, it's only happened once. Now, what are the takeaways from that? One, I guess you would expect You just got to think there's going to be volatility ahead of us in the next six months. And the other thing, though, it doesn't necessarily mean the market's got to go down. If history is any leading indicator of what might happen, like the last 14 times the market has started off the year this strong without a 5% correction, it had a positive return 13 of the next 14 14 times and with an average return or median return of 10% plus. So... I think the future still looks bright.
0: Well, in your monthly commentary for July, you mentioned a couple potential storm clouds on the horizon that you're keeping an eye on, peak economic growth and investor expectations. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, well,
1: obviously COVID is a storm cloud still. It just won't go away. But I did write about two other ones and ones that a lot of people may not be thinking of. And the first one is peak economic growth. And that basically means that the growth rate will peak. And let me just kind of talk about that. Is I mean, first of all, earnings growth for 2021 has been revised higher to corporate earnings growth could be as high as 40% improvement year over year. Obviously that's amazing. And already for next year, 2022, earnings growth, and of course these numbers change all the time, but we'll basically get the idea across, is expectations are closer to 12%. So just for a frame of reference, the long term growth average, earnings growth average is Six, seven percent. So these are awesome numbers, particularly even for next year. But the growth rate of the growth rate is slowing. And a lot of times, quite frankly, that creates a headwind for the market. The second thing is kind of more of a headwind, I think, for advisors because managing investor expectations are so important to have good investor experiences. And there was a study that came out from Natixis uh, recently looking at or asking US individual investors what they thought would be a reasonable rate of return from the stock market. And and they said 17.5% after inflation. And that is two to three times the long-term average. So expectations are way ahead of themselves. It's almost like advisors are going to have a real task on their hands, managing expectations lower to make sure investors have you know, good results over time.
0: Well, let's bring in our guest, Senior Portfolio Manager at Brinker Capital, Grant Engelbart. Grant, welcome back to The Weighing Machine.
1: Hey, great, uh,
2: great to be back.
0: So we do know a little bit about you already. Loyal listeners might remember you from the old weighing machine days when you were a regular guest as portfolio manager and director of research at CLS Investments. But before we dive into your new role and new since then, let's get a sense of what we should be listening to right now. Rusty? Yes, yeah,
1: so the all-important question. All right, Grant. I don't remember if we asked you this question years ago because we only started doing this a couple years ago, but we need a walk-up song. We need that music in the background we hear before Grant Engelbart comes up to plate here and hits a home run with every one of our questions. What is that song we're listening to?
2: I spent a lot of time thinking about this, but really the answer was always in front of me. It's the Alan Parsons Project, Sirius, Nebraska football, tunnel walk song. Also the Chicago Bulls use it in their heyday as well. I mean, just fantastic song. That's kind of a cheat, though. I think that a lot of people should use that as their walk-up song. It should be just everyone's <laughs> walk-up song. But
1: you're the first one, though. Remarkably.
2: <laughs> yeah, I I think that the at least the guitar part at the beginning of Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine is gets you really pumped up. So either one of those, I, I'll be if I listen to that ahead of time, which I did today, I'll be pretty pumped up.
1: <laughs> you know what? When I eventually create my Spotify playlist of all these walk-up songs of all our guests, <laughs> I'm putting both of those songs on it.
2: <laughs> That'd be great. Don't listen to it while, while driving because that's uh, that's dangerous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, Grant, for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about your background and what you're working on now.
2: Sure. So Grant Engelbart, obviously Senior Portfolio Manager now at, at Brinker Capital Investments. I've been with the Orion Organization for 12 years, since 2009, or going on 12 years here. Started in, in trading and in a number of different roles on the trading team we actually didn't have a very big PM team at the time or a research team. Um, and once we created a research analyst team, I, I was the first of two people to join that and then kind of you know worked for Rusty as he came on shortly thereafter and eventually up into a portfolio manager role. So I've done a lot of things over time, but it's large majority of it obviously been focused on trading and, and managing assets, especially ETFs, mutual funds and single securities as well. Worked a lot with high net worth clients over time. That was one of the main things I did as a trader, and then when I transitioned into an analyst and, and PM, I've worked with you know our, what we call our master manager program or our high net worth program for a really long time, and that that's very cool. There's a lot of a lot of customization there, a lot of different things we get to see, a lot of different really cool clients we get to deal with and talk to, and and, and work closely with advisors. But you know, I'm just one of those people that have an interest in a lot of areas, and so I've managed just about every type of portfolio we have here. And every type of asset class that we, we kind of trickle in and invest in, with kind of that that focus uh, around uh, uh, the ETF structure.
0: So, in addition to being a Chartered Financial Analyst charter holder, you are a Chartered Alternative Investment Charter holder. That's a mouthful, and it's the C A I A. Can you tell us more about that designation?
2: Sure. You could you call it the Kaya, I guess, to to short it up. That's, that's a lot of people say but it's a very cool designation so it's a kind of a two part test focused on of course alternative investments so things outside of traditional stocks and bonds think about like real estate hedge fund and hedge fund strategies which a you know, hedge fund's kind of a wrapper that has a bunch of different strategies inside of it uh, one part of it i really like those real assets so think like real assets like timberland you know tree rotations and things like that Art, intellectual property. There's even a section on intellectual property and movie rights and song royalties and things like that. So, very interesting concepts and things that you can invest in. What I found really interesting about the designation, I guess, in general, is that there is still a lot of application for what what's discussed there, despite, you know, we don't deal in art obviously every day. But despite that, there's, you know, they actually mention ETFs by name and some of the material. And so, it was very applicable and, and very, enjoyable and readable material. So it's it's definitely helped.
1: So Grant, the reason why well there's multiple reasons why you're on the podcast, but one of the big reasons is that you're really an expert in exchange traded funds ETFs and you know ETFs this year have already set a record for inflows in a calendar year we're only halfway through and that's so remarkable because ETFs have been killing it in recent years. So we're definitely going to drill down into ETFs. But first Another thing is that you are a fantastic portfolio manager and a true market junkie. And I think when people think about their portfolio managers, who's running their money, they want somebody like you because you're just never turning off in terms of how you're thinking about the markets and the way you've been managing them and the performance you've had. So with all of that preamble, how should Rob and I be investing our money? (laughs) What is your outlook on stocks, bonds, commodities, and alternatives?
2: Yeah, well, thanks thanks for the buildup. You know it's it's a good question it, it, there's a lot of people kind of scratching their heads right now and you can almost see that reflected in market market movement it's, it's kind of been until very recently there's been kind of a stalling out of a lot of different things and i think people are just kind of thinking about what's the next step especially i think in, in the bond market but from a stock perspective you know obviously we saw a tremendous surge in returns being brought forward from the future if you will off the lows of covid so as kind of my nature and your nature too rusty i know seeing valuations where they are today, which is near the highest they've ever been. Not overwhelmingly positive for future returns. I don't think 17% is is in order for the next five to 10 years. But that being said, you know, there's still plenty of opportunities. And So I think from our standpoint, you know, obviously we're not necessarily in the, in the business of predicting the market up or down or re- returns per se, adjusting expectations, but also looking at places to invest. And so I think you know, I think there's more behind what's happened in value. You know, there are certain areas of the market that are relatively inexpensive, and I think those are the areas that you should focus on. You know, stocks. I guess in the very short run, I think you know, a correction should always be on investors' mind. It's really amazing how quickly we get complacent. Um, it was only a year ago that a little bit over a year now that we were suffering tremendous declines, and then that's kind of quickly changed. So kind Of a long winded answer, but you know, I think the return expectations for stocks are, are lower going forward, but they're still you still have to stay invested, they're lower for bonds going forward based on interest rates as well. But they're also one of the best hedges out there, so you need to keep bonds in your, in your portfolio. I think commodities and alternatives get a bit more interesting. Commodities, I think, if you invest correctly in commodities, there, there's a lot of opportunity there. We've seen it strengthen in oil and other areas, um, but I think. People are getting more creative in how they invest in commodities and, and you know rebalancing into commodities. I know you've had people on the podcast before referring to some of these some of these areas, but I think real assets and commodities are are a particularly attractive area to look at. And then on the alternative front, um, you know alternatives by design can can almost always be a good investment because they're either hedging market risk out and and you're relying on an active manager picking good stocks or you're Investing in an in alternative source of returns, and so I think that's something that people should definitely look at now, with uh, valuations where they are. But you know, kind of with CLS and, and Brinker for a long time, you can always say this, but you really do need to lean into active managers at this point. Uh, I think the opportunity for for picking winners and losers is is getting larger. We kind of saw this rally from twenty twenty that you know the rising tide lifted all boats, but now we're seeing that disperse. So I think having a good active manager pick securities for you and make the right decisions there and pick quality stocks uh, makes a lot of sense going forward.
1: Robin, we're going to get rich off that.
0: <laughs> oh, I was taking notes the whole time. It's, it's going to take a while, but you'll get rich off that.
1: Hey, I've got a question thinking about this and nobody's ever asked me this in the way I'm going to ask it to you. I was just thinking about it. How would you describe your style of investing? And let me just kind of make it a, like a little more complicated than that. So. How would you describe your style of investing to like a room full of CFAs and Kayas? And how would you describe your style of investing at your Friday night cocktail party with friends? That's it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a good how, question. Do you des- how do you describe it?
2: I mean, I think to maybe the room full of people that are more used to hearing the conversation, I, w- I would I would say I'm kind of traditional deep Graham Buffett value, obviously born and raised in Omaha. I got, there's two Berkshire posters on the wall that you, you can't see in this video or, or podcast. And so that's I've traditionally always looked at that and had like an aversion to buying something with a price to earnings ratio above a certain level for a long time. And obviously, you know, as an early mentor, Rusty, and or not all that early, and your impact on on my investor career, obviously, as as part of that as well. But what I, I think kind of developed over time is is also this affinity for factor investing, but also just the power of momentum at the same time and the combination, you know, either in a what we would call a top-down approach. Again, I'm talking to this. I guess the room of people that deal with this on a daily basis, kind of top-down approach, you have you have your value stocks, you have your momentum stocks and you kind of keep them equal because their correlations are low and you ha- you can create um, kind of a smoother return stream over time as a combination of that. But also the bottom up, I think there's no, I haven't found that one way is better than the other, but kind of taking a stock that has value in momentum putting that together and owning those um, which interestingly right now there's a lot of both of those so that that's kind of where i'm at is is respecting the power of momentum especially with how i think value and, and owning value stocks makes a ton of sense but at the same time investors are so fragile that i think they need part of their portfolio you know more or less having a market return at the same time and then knowing those the combination of those two is important for a portfolio i think makes a lot of sense so If I'm talking to my friends though, I say, I like buying cheap stuff and stuff that's going up uh, at the same time. So they'd probably be like, well, how can you buy both of those? And they're, they're (laughs) partially right, but you can own enough of the the quality, cheap stuff and enough of the stuff that's going up in a controlled way, in a risk controlled way that, that you can, you can create a nice looking portfolio for people for, for the long run.
1: Nice. Okay. So I, I kind of know some of the stuff behind the scenes, but once upon a time, and I assume you still do it, you used to create on a weekly basis this chart pack that was beautiful and it was only for internal consumption. But quite frankly, you know, back in the day, you could have got rich just selling that sucker. So I don't know. Do you still do that? What tools do you use to make your investment decisions now?
2: All over the years is developing these tools and, and kind of manually building them out and, and tweaking them and, and things like that has obviously been uh, I think is a huge part of, of being a good money manager is understanding what your what tools you've created and, and and leaning on them to a certain extent, or at least as a basis to make decisions. So I made a couple. One is still produced today, the relative valuation chart pack or the starting points matter is kind of the new name there. You know, just a combination of you know obviously an idea from you, Rusty, but a combination of, uh, of of price multiples taken back over time so you can see kind of the average uh, area. And it is a powerful tool and it. It does correspond with a lot of things you can see it correspond with future returns in in sectors and industries and things like that as well and i actually use that in some some modeling today then and then relative performance is the other one it's basically looking at a security let's say it's a technology etf and then looking at its performance versus an index so technology etf versus the s p 500 let's say and how that goes up or down over time And, and you can really you can capture if is technology doing better than the index or worse than the index um, and then you can add and, and kind of capture several other data points as a result of that using moving averages and other things. And what it creates is a lot of discipline on timing of an investment, uh, especially on in that when you have that kind of value mentality, you want to buy something that just has gotten cut in half or, or is, is, has gone down a lot. Not everybody does, but that's where my head gravitates to. But using that as discipline to get in at the right time, maybe when it started to rebound a little or, or find a bottom has been you know really important and, and helpful for, for our, our team managing money.
0: Well, let's uh, talk a little bit more about ETF investing. As Rusty said, you've got a long record of successful ETF investing work, and you were an early advocate of the technology. So what do you look for in an ETF and in an ETF provider?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely proud of like, CLS's long-term historical before, I guess, for most of us were here. You know, early 2000s, CLS started buying ETFs, so long track record there and kind of see that preserved going forward. But In an ETF, I mean, there's a lot of things to look at, obviously, but I I think sometimes it sounds obvious, but sometimes it's a bit ignored is just just the exposure that the ETF provides you. So, you you buy gold ETF because you want gold, you buy financials ETF because you want financials, but at the same time, there's 10 different financials ETFs. One might have credit card processors like Visa and MasterCard, one might not, one might have a lot more in regional banks and so or whatever it may be and, you know, 20 different value ETFs with all different little nuances so i think that's huge something we really try to look into a lot is is what is the exposure that you're getting how much concentration are you getting in one security versus another you know what's the max security weight how, what's the sector composition is, is are they allowed to float are they allowed to are they trying to to keep it close to a parent index i think there, there's so many different ways and I, actually 2020 hate to keep bringing up 2020 but i think was a great way to see some of those differences into the decline and out of the decline. And especially like in value ETFs, you could see how the structure of the product and it's kind of, you know, the really boring stuff, the index methodology document, how important that actually is in the product. And that leads to consistency. If you want a value ETF, you want not to perform well when value performs well. And recently we've seen a lot of, you know, there's been products and value ETFs um, and value active managers that haven't performed well. So they were kind of maybe more or less Cheating prior to that. So just, you know, kind of unveiling those type of discrepancies and differences, I think is important. So consistency, and then obviously you want the operational and kind of functional integrity of an ETF to be important, you know, to the price, how closely it tracks this index, how inexpensive it is to get in or out of, you know, all of those type of nuances or things that we pay close attention to as well. But you got to get that exposure right first, in in my view.
0: Well, this might be kind of a tough question, but what are some of your favorite ETFs or the ETFs that you're most intrigued by lately?
1: Tough question. This is a fun question. I like this one. (laughs) Now we're really going to get rich. (laughs) Yeah, there's probably too many to list, but... I've seen your portfolio. You have a lot of favorite ETFs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of... uh, I mean, there's a lot of innovation in the ETF space. And so, you know, some of that's thematic and trying to catch a, a, a... trend which is fine but some of it's it's more disciplined i guess from that perspective so one that i've held for a really long time is something called uh, the ticker's moat it's it's a morningstar with a vanek etf that tracks a morningstar index it's an index-based etf but it's basically actively managed morningstar has an analyst team that calculated price to fair value and they take the basically the top 40 cheapest large cap us stocks with wide moats so you know kind of the, the the buffett term of you know, having a competitive advantage that's hard to scale, like a moat, obviously, and uh, combining those, so it's a, a way to look at quality and value at the same time. And it's been a great product. It used to be 20 holdings, so it's very concentrated. Now it's 40, but it's still still strong and, and one of the largest holdings in the strategy I've ran for for some time. So that's a good one, moat. Without going in too much, you know, I, I think J.P. Morgan's U.S. Value product is is a really good way to play value. I like some products that have value and momentum, of course, in the in the product itself, but. I will say from kind of a provider standpoint, Davis funds, Davis ETFs, they have a pretty concentrated actively managed ETFs. And they were one of the newest, the early entrants into the, the actively managed equity ETF space. So, the, you know, shout out to those products and they have a financials fund and they've been pounding the table on financials, which has been great. And then I think one of the newer entrants I think is, is called Simplify, asset management, Simplify ETFs. They just started last year and they've grown tremendously. And they're really thinking outside of the box with products and using options. And the simplified name maybe is a little bit, not misleading, but there's nothing really too simple about what they do, but they're trying to make the ability to use options and things like that for clients, simple for advisors. And I think they're doing a great job of that. So those are just a few I mentioned, but feel free to ask uh, separately. I'll, I'll give you a very long list. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you were also an early proponent of cryptocurrencies, or well, at least you were intrigued at the potential of crypto early on. What is your view of crypto these days, and when might we see a crypto ETF?
2: Crypto is a fascinating space. I mean, obviously, like as as someone being interested in alternative investments, I, you know, I mentioned artwork in Timberland earlier. A new quote unquote new asset class, cryptocurrencies, is is also very interesting. And I think even just the evolution in the last two or three years has been pretty fascinating in cryptocurrencies, from kind of the Bitcoin. You know, I think Bitcoin's transitioned to just this digital gold, right? There's not its use cases and great. I mean, it's kind of a slow process of transactions and things like that, but it's, it's just taking this this spotlight and has futures contracts on it and things like that. So anyway, my view on crypto, to answer your question, is I do think it's in a new alternative asset class. I think it's I think it should be used intelligently, obviously, and in a s- small way, a portion of your assets that that are not worth or that you're okay with losing, you know, at least at this point. But I think that can evolve into into other things. And I'm, I'm very curious to see how advisors can start to to get involved with that and obviously an etf is is one way to do that there's you know he, you know more than a dozen etf filings for a bitcoin etf i don't think it'll come till early next year personally i know some people think later this year uh, i just I, for some reason i think i think early next year but i do think it will come um, there's some, been some other products out there that have paved the way but I think the possibilities are, are just really fascinating and endless there. One thing that has been interesting to me lately is kind of the DeFi area. or basically creating financial products with cryptocurrencies and different DeFi tokens. I mean, basically, it's like mezzanine debt meets microloans meets your neighborhood bank. I mean, there's so many fascinating use cases. And I think one of the biggest issues we have kind of in the advisor, advisor world today or the kind of investor world is is income generation. And with cryptocurrencies, I think if done the right way, you can create pretty substantial income streams and and uncorrelated income streams off of these products in intelligent ways. And we're starting to see some of that come across, but we're talking about 7% plus yields um, and things like that based on loaning your crypto out or whatever it may be. So I think there's some really interesting stuff going on there in the crypto market, but Gives me confidence is seeing some of the people that we we know well in the in the ETF world go over to the crypto space and buy into that. So like you know Matt Hogan, his big ETF guy, went over to Bitwise. Dave Abner at Wisdom Tree went over to Gemini. Um, those guys I respect a lot. And, and uh, if they're wrong, then uh, I don't want to be right or whatever. whatever <laughs>
1: Wow. That's, yeah, now that is some juicy stuff right there, particularly on the, um, on the DeFi stuff. So that's pretty intriguing. We'll probably have to have a podcast on the future, Robin, on something like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So let me think about this question. So you talked about earlier, you know, role models and mentors, but the reality is you are one and you have been a role model and mentor for people. You know, right now the industry is, you know, because of Robinhood and... The gamification of the market. So many new investors are coming to the market and so many people want to get into the investment management industry. What is your advice for those people, either new to investing or actually just wanting to come in to become investment managers? What advice would you give them?
2: I love this question. I guess like I love when it's asked on other podcasts with investment managers and things like that. So thanks for asking it. You know, obviously it's you know run as fast as you can away from it, the industry, but obviously it's a fantastic industry and it touches it touches everybody. And that, that's one of the main reasons I, I think I got into it besides being interested, deeply interested in investing, is just like everybody needs to use, you know, financial planning and investing, but yet so few people know what's going on. It just it's the most applicable thing I could have I've done with my life, I guess, in my view. So I think today, as a CFA and, and someone that wanted to manage money a charter holder and somebody that wants to manage money I mean, it's hard for me to say this but I think focusing on financial planning I think is huge or at least having a good base of knowledge on financial planning I think is really important today because that's an area that just I personally want to grow in and, and think that again has that application but also quantitative investing I think is huge you know learning Python or R or one of these programming languages and getting deep into kind of the data sciences area is going to help you in, in finance but it's going to help you in you know, a variety of other industries. And so I think that the kind of quantitative aspects of investing, I think, are are an area that I wish I, I learned a lot more on earlier, instead of having to catch up and things like that. But just in, in general, like kind of the basic things, writing and communication are huge. Rusty, and this is something you obviously helped us all with, over, you know, along the way a ton, but there's so much writing and there's so much of investing, especially if you focus on quantitative investing and, and your portfolio maybe runs itself. It's not necessarily what we do, but to a certain extent, some people do. And then they really have to focus their time on on communicating and, and writing about it and, and kind of telling that story. So I think that's huge. And then, I, you know, focusing on relationships is something that I've always been a huge fan of. The industry is a lot smaller than it seems. And, you know, the kind of maybe the old school Wall Street mentality or what people think Wall Street is like is just not true. Or those people are, doing different roles it's a fantastic industry uh, especially in the kind of the niche etf industry and so focus on those relationships right away is going to do you wonders in, in more ways than you can ever imagine um and, and things like that but i guess learning a lot about crypto probably would be important too going forward but, but those are the the main things i'd say
1: wow that's great all right since you said you uh like that question it's one of the questions i ask often i'm going to ask you one that i also ask often and that is and you actually have a great frame reference on this because you've talked to a lot of them. But what do you think makes a good financial advisor? I think
2: we've talked a lot and obviously dealt with a lot over over time. You know, I, I mentioned the applic- getting into this inter- industry too because it's so applicable. But I think at the same time, also it's it's because you're you're helping people, right? It's so applicable that you can help other people. So kind of really recognizing that that care in an advisor, and to the extent that an advisor could express that care, I think is incredibly important. And, and creating that, that relationship and that bond that the advisor really cares about your and your financial well being is obviously you know, important for an advisor to continue that relationship over, over a long period of time and, and intergenerationally as well. But I also think I've been on the phone with a lot of advisors that have done a fantastic job of keeping their client invested, but doing it in a way that they kind of made it seem like it's the, the client's idea, right? So they weren't like pushing, like, no, you have to stay in, you have to earn this, you have to do this, you know, they've listened to their concerns, even though they had, you know, I, I let them know why that probably isn't true. The advisor's like, well, you know, kind of sided with the client and said, Okay, what do you think about this, this, and this? You know, didn't chastise or, or do anything like that, said I respect your view and but here's what I think you should do, and then kind of convincing it them to stay invested and stay in the market. So I've seen that kind of mentality and made me smile because it is re- really well done how, how some of these advisors can, can do that and keep, that's keep a gift. That. it's not it's, yeah. it's not tricking them i shouldn't say that but it's it is a gift and, and it's so important to stay invested you know that's like one of the main things we focus on here of course but you know i i do think that again kind of along with both of those is that like comprehensive financial planning structure versus just like tracks transactional based business and a lot of that's gone away but just the, the kind of call you up and buy a new A-share load fund and then not talk to you again. Financial advisor business has kind of gone away, which is good to see, but just kind of that focus on that holistic picture and uh, comprehensive financial planning is, is great as well.
1: All right, here's a question. This is gonna, this will probably make your hands sweat, but it's, don't worry, it's just <laughs> make believe. Let's say you're in a situation where somebody says, Grant, you can no longer manage your own investments, but you, ha- you can hire who you want to manage your money. So what attributes would you look for in somebody who's gonna manage the Grant Engelbart portfolio moving forward? Because you can't do it anymore. What would you look for in an investor? What are the good qualities?
2: Yeah, well, I think discipline kind of kind of first and foremost. I mean, there's there's so many as an investor and an advisor, you wanna be disciplined and, and recognize the power of staying in the market long-term. So you obviously, I want that in a in someone managing my money as well, but also on the process side of things, you know, having a consistent repeatable process, I think is very important, but I also think that I do think there's, it's a little bit overrated to have the same process since 1970 type thing, or whatever, pick your year. I think having a consistent process since 1970 makes a ton of sense, but Markets do change, things change. And so kind of continuing to adapt what you do and how you do it, I think is important. Not to the extent you're changing things completely every year, of course, but I, I think I think that's important to recognize that you know you're kind of taking in new information and knowledge. But consistent process, obviously aligned with kind of my investment belief and then and then that that strong stomach and ignoring the FOMO that I think has been so has caught so many investors off recently where it's you just want to get involved in whatever it is, the meme stocks or various other areas of crypto or whatever it may be, instead of kind of sticking to your process and your, your standard portfolio, I, I would think would be attributes I'd look for in the person taking over my portfolio.
1: You know, it's kind of like what you're saying kind of reminds me, I like to say that when it comes to investing, you know, professionally, no investment position is sacred. You should always be enhancing the investment process. And when it comes to investment philosophy, it should be articulated and defended. Something along those lines. But all right, here's the next question. And this one here is, I know it's going to be another winner because I, I know it's going to probably change some people's behavior moving forward. I'm betting on it. And that is, again, because you read and study so much and you survey so much ground. And there's just so much information out there for financial advisors and investment managers. What are some of your favorite and most reliable sources of information?
2: There's a lot. So I will say that you know part of my job and I, why I bring good attributes to it is because I can kind of process a lot of information and get it handled quickly. But that being said, there's a podcast, I think, is my first answer. Podcasts are an amazing way to, to absorb information. And you can do it at whatever speed, I guess, you choose, like, you know, normal time or 1.5 X or two. And sometimes I wish we had that for zoom calls with, with certain people, <laughs> yep. uh, you know, things like that. But, you know, I think there's a variety of podcasts. I've been a kind of loyal listener to, to a animal spirits podcast since its inception. It's it's Michael Badnick and Ben Carlson from kind of Ritholt's group. My view on them kind of goes up and down, but what they do is they do a great job of reviewing kind of the week in review as far as news flow and, and articles published and, and research published. And then kind of take a, a good tact on it, right? So that they have the a long term view, you know. They kind of have a consistent message from that standpoint. So you, you, they can they help parse through the news, I think, well. But also, what ends up happening is, you know, I end up getting I listen to a you know their thirty minute podcast, and then I have ten papers to read and like four books to buy, you know. So it's kind of an expansion of of, of a lot of things. But that's something I, I consistently do. And there's a ton of other podcasts I can mention. There's so much good free content now that's being published and you can kind of scale up or scale down to the extent that you want to read it. But I really like what Research Affiliates does and puts out. I think that they have some deep research and write it in a good way that's readable. I'll mention here too, that I think there was some kind of quote unquote time to reflect papers that were put out recently. And again, some of these get pretty deep, but are uh, a really... Really good. Corey Hofstein wrote a paper called Liquidity Cascades that basically describes how the market works. I mean, more or less. I mean, it's lengthy. He does put it in a podcast form on his Flirting with Models podcast if you want to listen to it there. But that came out a guy named Jesse Livermore, uh, which is a pseudo name actually for the old school investor, but works with O'Shaughnessy Asset Management, put out a similar paper. And then most recently, Dave Nodig, who I really I think is one of the best minds in the ETF industry, wrote a, a paper on volatility you can find on like ETFtrends.com. So I guess I'd, I'd shout out those three as, as being some you know, really top tier and applicable you know, studies more or less that have come out in, in the last year.
0: Well, this has been a really, really great conversation, Grant, and it's been great to have you back on the show today. How can listeners stay in touch and learn more about you and Brinker Capital?
2: Good question. I uh, haven't, haven't taken the dive into, into my own Twitter handle yet, but you know, soon you can follow us on BrinkerCapital.com and then Brinker Capital on Twitter as well, put out uh, various articles there. And then occasionally on Orion Portfolio Solutions blog, we'll have various things published. And then I guess I'll have one more thing. ETF trends has an ETF strategist channel and there's a Brinker Capital page there. And we publish various things on the ETF industry out there, usually on a monthly basis.
1: Well, you, first of all, need to have, you need to be on Twitter. So that's pretty obvious. All right. I'm
2: on there. You just can't tell. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you're a lurker. That's right. All right. So, well, I want to say thanks for coming on the show, but I do have one more question because sure. this is going to be published just days before Husker football season starts. So, I want it on public record right now, how many games Nebraska football is going to win, the team is going to win this year.
2: Oh, man, rough. You had no idea I, this was no, coming. I Yeah, I could, I should have been. <laughs> Without saying a variety of things about how my feelings about the basketball changed recently, I will say we win at least six
1: games this year. Mm-hmm. Winning record. Yep. Go no ball right. game.
0: All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show today, Grant. It's been really great to have you. And that is going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words.
1: Stay balanced and stay the course.
0: We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions. team is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty@orion.com. orion.com. opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information the participants consider reliable.